Welcome to Tez Podagogy, the podcast for all those in education who understood the pun in the title and, okay, those that do not too. We're here to help you reflect, challenge you and plant some ideas in your head. So today our guest is Daisy Christoulou, formerly Head of Assessment at the Academy chain Arc Schools and now a Director of No More Marking, the organisation hoping to persuade us all that comparative judgement is a great idea. She has also written two excellent books on education, Seven Myths About Education and Making Good Progress. Hello Daisy. Hi John. Now your career has been very assessment focused so far and people tend to see assessment as something that is very essential in schools but something that can be a bit dry. Now we're going to dedicate the next sort of 20 to 30 minutes talking about assessment. Where does your sort of enthusiasm for assessment come from? Where, what, what drives you to, to sort of dedicate the large proportion of your career to this area? Yes, I think you're right. People do find it to be, to be assessment to be quite dry. And I think when, sometimes when I say to people I used to be an English teacher, they're quite surprised by that. I think people expect that maths teachers or science teachers go into assessment. And sometimes I do think to myself, oh, I've swapped a life of reading poetry for a life of uh, staring at spreadsheets. Yeah. <laughs> um, but actually, I think there's, funny enough, there's more in common with, with, with English and assessment than you might think. And I think the, th- the thing for me that makes assessment so fascinating is fundamentally it is about meaning. Mm-hmm. It's about understanding. It's about the possibility of communication of understanding someone else. Mm. So the, 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 I remember the first time I marked a set of books uh, after I taught one of my very first lessons, I realised that none of the pupils had understood a thing I'd been talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and I can remember going through each book and thinking, well, that's pupils not understood it, that's their fault. They haven't either, that's their fault too. And then suddenly you work through the whole thing and you get to the point where you're like... Maybe it was my fault. <laughs> Did you get no inkling during the lesson that nothing was going in? I, I genuinely didn't understand. Just it was, I, it was a poem I was teaching. Mm. I remember the poem. The poem was Timothy Winters by Charles Causley. Okay. And it is a tricky poem. Yeah. And I think I genuinely hadn't appreciated before I taught it just how difficult the pupils would find it. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm saying about assessment. If I, just say for argument's sake, I'd taught that poem, not, not gotten to write anything, not, not marked those books, I would genuinely not have understood just how little they'd taken away from it or just the wrong ideas or how they'd, they'd not you know, appreciated the sort of the, the central points of it. And for me, that fundamentally is, is one of the most important things about assessment is the, is the other person understanding you. Mm. You're trying to teach something, you're trying to communicate this meaning, you're trying to communicate this new idea or this new concept. Do your pupils understand? And it's so easy, not just for novice teachers, I mean, obviously mm. for novice teachers it's, it's true, but it's so easy even when, when you're experienced to get a really good grasp or a good handle on how 25, 30 children in a class, if they've all understood the nuances and subtleties of, of something. So unless you have assessment, it's really hard to tell if your teaching has led to learning. And so, does it, yeah. Do you still have the same passion for it? I mean, you, you yeah. on a class level, yeah. you can see the kids, you can see the progress. Yeah. You were stepped up at ARC to yeah. a, a national one, you yeah. know, a, a massive academy yeah. chain. And yeah. They become numbers, right? But do you still see them as... as little students in, in the data sheets or yeah. is it, is it th- a different type of I think that's that's a really good question and I think not just with assessment but with anything the sort of the more senior you go you can become remote as you say from mm. from the sort of things on the front line I think for me the thing I always tried to keep in mind it was yes it's, it's pupils but also what I was really keen on doing all the time is trying to establish a link between the numbers and not necessarily the pupils but the work they'd produced mm. the scripts they'd produced the questions they'd answered and that's one of the things I love about no more marking because it is now quite easy to track back from quite a high level um, and seeing you know, an aggregate number right at the top to drill right the way down and look at an actual script. Mm. And that is what I love doing the most. Uh, if you're looking at people who have made really big progress or you look at people who have regressed, you can go in and you can say, well, I want to see the script. I, I want to see the work they were producing. And we've got a couple of those up on our blogs. 
there's also something I was trying to do at ARC as well but just mm. being able to look at the work and, and I'll be honest with you I do actually it might be sound a bit geekish to say this but I, I love reading kids work I find it fascinating yeah. I really do and I, what I realised was I, I'm not going to lie and say I liked marking I didn't like marking <laughs> and I used to have that horrible Sunday night thing where you had 20-30 books still left to mark you've got to get them done and you know you'd much rather be watching the telly but whilst I didn't like marking I did like just the bit of it of seeing what kids had written mm. um, and that I still find really fascinating. And what I love about comparative judgment is it gives you, if, if, if you like, the fun bit of reading the kids' work and see what they've put without the bit I never liked and that I think a lot of teachers don't like, which is the bit of actually trying to put a mark on it or match it up to a mark scheme. And the reason why I think I didn't like that and a lot of teachers don't like that is it's something the human mind isn't very good at because mm. you're trying to make these absolute judgments which are quite tricky and you're using prose descriptors which are very poor at, at, at doing that. But the bit of reading the kids' work I love and I am all for linking as much as possible, as you say, these numbers which can become quite remote and isolated with the pieces of work. So it's a, an aim for us to try and build up lots of exemplars of what, what people's typical work they produce at each stage. And do you think, I mean, obviously there's, there's, there's countless ways of mm-hmm. assessing progress yeah. or assessing ability or yeah. ass- assessing learning. Yeah. Um, are those three things the same thing? Is assessing progress yeah. the same? Is it the same sort of method- methodology as assessing learning, as assessing you know, understanding? Are those three different ways of assessing? I, th- I think you make a really good point there, and I think when you start to think about these things you do get into quite deep waters so there's a whole body of research about how performance isn't the same as learning Mm. that actually sometimes your performance can stay steady but you are still learning you're still consolidating these schemas in long-term memory so we have always got to be careful that just because a pupil is producing something that's a piece of work like this that doesn't necessarily uh, capture all of the things that are going on all of the things that they've learned so you have got to be uh, aware of that um so I think those things are, are, you know, they can be slightly different. And I think that's the thing I'm interested in too, is trying to push that forward and trying to look at how we tease out these, these differences. And again, one of the things I write about a lot in my second book is how these differences, if you like, between formative assessment, summative assessment, mm. that I think there are certain tasks that are better geared towards measuring formative assessment and there are certain tasks which are better at summative assessment. So I think that, for example, giving pupils um, a small quiz on something they've just learned is really valuable in a formative way because you can immediately you can make such quick di- diagnosis mm. diagnoses from that and decide what to do next. But then I think you need for, for some of the assessments you need something different. You need these bigger, maybe slightly more holistic tasks that are assessing a range of skills. So maybe there you need more of the extended writing. Okay. So I think you need different tasks to be assessing different things. You've always got to, got to be clear up front what it is you're trying to do. It's a quite a dynamic assessment sort of process basically yeah absolutely um and and, and being clear uh, being clear with yourself up front why am i doing this assessment what what do i want to be able to do off the back of the information i get do mm. i want to change the way i teach do i want to change the next question i ask do i want to change my scheme of work the next time i teach this scheme of work do i want to change it change the next scheme of work i teach this class or do i want to give this class some feedback about where they are relative to their peers nationally those are all legitimate inferences you might want to make but i don't think one task would do all of them mm. so you need to be clear up front what is it you want to do and then you get the right assessment for the right thing. And how do you sort of um, tease out what is a dip in the road and what is a down, downhill trajectory yeah. or an uphill yeah. trajectory? I mean, I guess some kids have a natural up and, up and down nature into, into their application, yeah. perhaps, yeah. as well as their attainment. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a great question. I think that's where we, you hit all these issues around measurement error and confidence intervals, mm-hmm. which are, are, are really crucial in assessment. And at the individual level, scores do fluctuate. Mm. They really do. And kids do have good days and bad days. And even if you come up with really reliable methods of assessment, which 
don't have much much noise in them if a kid wakes up doesn't have breakfast if a kid wakes up if the hamster's died you know if they're upset about something their scores you know they have good days and bad days and it's very hard so very hard to watch that what I always say is what you want to try and do is if you look at a, if you look at the cohort average some of that then washes out because for every kid who has a good day one has a bad day okay. so looking at the cohort average can often be a useful way to get an idea of how that cohort's progressing yeah. and then within that I think you do have to take things you have to be slightly nuanced about how you interpret it and to always be aware that small progress or regression might not be at the individual level um, might just be might, might just be kids having a good or a bad day and in terms of how we assess, I mean, mm-hmm. I've been quite fascinated recently in looking at a lot, a lot of the work special schools are doing. Mm-hmm. And they, de- they tend to, ve- mm-hmm. to develop quite intricate but very revealing uh, methods of assessment. And they seem to be very much more... Uh, they share some of your enthusiasm for assessment. And in mainstream schools, we, we don't always see that, that, that passion for, OK, how can we assess better? I mean, the life after level stuff is a case in point you've written for Tez about that. I mean that wasn't really embraced as the opportunity it could have been. I mean, where's, where, why is that? Is that a lack of understanding about assessment? Is that too much bad assessment tarring, tarring the whole notion of assessment? How, why, is, why is the special schools sector perhaps slightly more in tune with that, do you think? So that's really interesting, and I don't know enough about, about special schools and what they're doing, but what I do know from some of the people that I've spoken to is that often what they're trying to do, um, if you look at the, particularly at primary, if you look at the primary assessment framework, you've, mm. you've really kind of got some quite, big blunt categories um, you've got your working towards expected standard greater depth and you have got a few pre-key stage standards too but often what you've then got special schools are trying to do is to try and show the progress pupils are making within those quite big quite clunky bands yeah. and as you say as a result of that they're coming up with some quite innovative ways of doing that and they're looking much more I would say in sort of finer detail about what pupils can and can't do which I think is really valuable yeah. and I think being able to get those more fine-grained measures is, is really important um, I think potentially, yeah, one of the reasons why perhaps in, in schools generally it hasn't, hasn't sort of taken off in that same way, there isn't that same uh, enthusiasm there, is perhaps because of that, that fa- the fact that assessment and accountability are so intertwined. Yeah. And it's very hard to get that love for assessment when you know that it's the thing that potentially is going to be used to judge your next pay rise. Yeah, you. I think that's get, the thing, isn't it? Absolutely, like, yeah. If we've monetised progress, in a way, that, yeah. that, that's, that's a real problem. Um, do you think as well that there's a lot of ineffective practice so people don't see the point in the assessment because they're saying well I, I can I can why am I doing this half termly test when I, I know exactly what uh, Matthew's progress is because I've, I've been there in the class with him and there's this sort of fear of duplication of work rather than new new findings as such yeah so I think there's a couple of reasons why maybe people can, can be hostile to, to assessment I think one thing it is is it is easy to think I know this class better than anyone mm. I've taught them for year I've got a better hand on how they're doing than something that comes out of a two-hour test mm. and to, to a certain extent there is, there is some truth in that okay and the bit that the sort of the, 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 the true thing there is that teachers are pretty good at the kids they've got putting them into some kind of order and having some idea how they're doing relative to each other what teachers are less good at is and not just teachers but humans yeah. <laughs> is putting all those kids then onto a national scale okay so that's the bit that's really tricky. Um, so it is true, that obviously, if you've taught a class for a year, you've got that knowledge of them. But it's also true that it's very hard for lots of teachers working independently across the country to then put all those kids they know really well onto the same scale. Yeah. So that's why you need some kind of, sort of standardised assessment yeah. to, to get kids onto, 
onto the same scale. So you might know how well your kids are doing, but yeah. you know how well they're doing relative when to each other. When they get into the, a bigger pool, your judgment is, is yeah. relative. And, that and that's a, that's the thing is that all of us we get uh, we, there's so many ways that humans are biased, and <laughs> there's so many sort of cognitive distortions we're all prey to. Mm. And one of them is is you get used to kind of what you're seeing in front of you. So um, if you're marking, if you're in a, in a in a school and all the kids are really high attainers. The group, the kids you've got who are low attainers within that, you're going to be a bit harsh on them because they're coming at the bottom of the kids you're marking all the time. But the fact they're actually doing very well in absolute terms can be hard for you to pick up. Okay, yeah. And the reverse is true. If you're marking kids who are on average quite low attaining, the kids who are at the top of that, you might be a bit too generous to them because they're always coming top of the lot you're seeing. Yeah, yeah. So those are some of the issues. The other issues you see as well, and people are always sort of astonished by this, but there, there is unfortunately a real issue, and again I stress it's not a teacher thing, it's a human being thing, around bias to do with, with gender, with ethnicity, with disadvantage. Uh, and the fact is teacher assessment has been shown again and again. Teachers tend to be biased against people in those, in those groups. Mm. And you think, well, why is that? You know, is it that teachers are somehow um, you know, sort of nasty creatures? With bias? It isn't that at all. It's that when you're making complex judgments, you often default to heuristics or stereotypes. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, over a, a group of kids, you know, that can have that effect, that the pupil who's disadvantaged or the pupil who's maybe, you know, the, um, uh, even things with girls and maths or with boys in English, mm. that you just can have that, 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 that default to a stereotype, which will be unconscious. I'm not saying for a minute this is conscious or deliberate, yeah. but it's that unconscious bias. So there's all kinds of biases that can creep in. And that's why I think it is important to have, at certain points in the year, these moments where you have these, these, these standardised tests, so you have something that's a bit more standardised. But of course, that's, I would only say you need those at certain points in the year, not too frequently. And I think in between those points, that's where there's enormous value in the teacher assessment of the, the real classroom, the, the things that have been learned in the classroom, the curriculum content, and, and being able to tease out like, what you do next. And that kind of assessment is much less about the grading and the summative judgment and much more about how are pupils understanding this content? Have they really understood it? What do I need to change in my teaching in order to do better next time? And in terms of how you do that, I mean, there's been a quite a trend of people saying we don't mark at all anymore mm-hmm. or we'll do book inspection or actually we start every lesson with a quiz from content we did six months ago. There's, 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 there's loads of interesting ideas around would you say certain of those are more effective than others? I mean, what are, what are, what's happening in schools now that just makes you hold your head in your hands and, <laughs> and, and weep for all the work <laughs> you've done around assessment? Well, 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 funny enough, actually, I would say four or five years ago, there were a lot of things like that. Mm. Um, so one that came out a few years ago, I think, in the, just the immediate aftermath of life after level was tri- triple marking. OK, yeah. And triple marking was one of those. Where I, I almost sort of lived through that and saw it happening. And I think what happened was levels went. And then there were a lot of kind of well-meaning interventions, I think. Ofsted then said, look, levels are going, but don't worry. We know schools have different assessment systems, but we just want to look at, look at the progress your kids are making. If they're making progress over time, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And then they spoke a lot about, well, you know, we're looking at progress in books. And then I think schools thought, right, books, we've got to mark the books yeah. in massive depth and we've got to see progress. So then we got into this situation where you had teachers marking a book in one colour, the kids all responding in another colour, teachers responding in another colour, <laughs> so on and so forth. And you think the time it takes just to write one sentence yeah, yeah. in a book for every kid in a class, the idea that you're then going to be just constantly doing that and having that dialogue is enormously time consuming. And so if I was going to say one thing not to do, which I think a lot of schools are realising now, is when you get assessment wrong, it probably has more of an impact on workload than almost any other aspect of school yeah. life. 
And there's a, f- a fascinating survey that DFE do teacher workload diaries. And they did one, I think, in 2010, one in 2013. And they found the amount of time that primary school teachers were spending on assessment had doubled in those three years. Wow. It had gone from five hours a week to 10 hours a week. And that's astonishing. Yeah. Just to add in, and if you think, you know, five hours, that's a big chunk of time. And so you're not talking about, I mean, you're, you've spoken about the importance of assessment and mm. how integral it is, but that doesn't necessarily mean more assessment. It means sharper assessment. Yeah, totally not. And I think, actually, one of the, one of the things about this is, is it's often it's bad ideas that take the most time. Mm. And, and a good idea often, it's not just a good idea because it delivers better output. It's a good idea because it can deliver better output with, with, with less input. Have you looked at peer assessment in that as well? I mean, I know a lot of schools have started using peer assessment and a lot of, uh, we've got a piece actually in September about it where it's very, very structured, guided peer assessment. Have you any done any research or what was your experience of peer assessment as as an idea? So I think the the risk with peer assessment is the reliability. Mm -hmm. So the risk is how do you know that the the marking's been done accurately? Mm -hmm. So for me, it's what you just said about the structure, the guidance. It's do you have a system that means you can feel confident in in the results of that peer assessment? So I would say... The type of peer assessment I think can work very well. One one example is um, questions that are quite simple to mark. Yeah. So right, wrong questions. Maths think, questions. Yeah. Or maths questions. Spelling, spelling, spelling questions, questions. Multiple choice questions. I think those can be easy to mark. So they can be peer assessed, but the pupils can also learn from them. Mm-hmm. So I think those types are valuable. I also think we haven't done a, a lot on this, but I think it is a really good avenue. I think comparative judgment would be very interesting to set up in a, in a peer assessment way of to get pupils to go in and do some judging themselves. Yeah. Because you can not only do they get the experience of doing it and reading other kids' work, which I think is really valuable, but if they if their judging is really at odds with everybody else, with the, with the teachers who have been judging, you'll be able to see it. Yeah. And actually, if it, the pupils who are judging more accurately, that's probably a sign that they've un- un- understood the thing that's being taught better as well. I see. Yeah. So I think peer assessment can work. I think you've got to be really careful about how you set it up to make sure that you're getting reliable results. And we talked about comparative judgment a couple of times. For, for people who don't know what comparative judgment is, I mean, we've done a big feature in TES, but if, if you haven't read it out there, if you check it out, Daisy wrote a lovely feature on it. But um, can you give, it, give us a very brief idea of yeah. what comparative judgment is and what, what you sort of hope to achieve with that? Yeah, so traditional marking, if you think of how you're marking an essay, you take one essay, you mark it, maybe you've got your mark scheme, you give it a grade, you look at the mark scheme. How comparative judgment works is you take all your scripts from a class, so take all your essays, scan them into online comparative judgment engine, and they appear in front of you a pair at a time. So they'll pop up on your screen two at a time. And you look at the two, you read the two, and you say which one's better. And you make a series of decisions like that with different pairs that are presented to you at random. Mm. And your colleagues do that too. And then the comparative judgment algorithm, it crunches all of those decisions, and it comes up with a measurement scale. And it puts all those scripts on a measurement scale. And the advantage of this, a couple of advantages, it's very good at delivering high levels of reliability and marking essays normally is really hard and very hard to do reliably mm. so you get these reliable reliable results where you get quite a lot of agreement we get reliability scores in excess of 0.85 0.9 which when you consider one is kind of perfect 0.85 0.9 is, is really impressive and what it also allows you to do it allows you to monitor progress quite easily over time and we know from last week with the GCSEs we, whenever we get GCSE results the thing everyone wants to know is our standards improving over time Actually, it's quite difficult to do that with traditional exams. Mm. But we do that quite easily because we can put scripts from the year before into a new pot of scripts. So when you get your measurement scale, you're not just getting where your scripts from this year are. You're seeing how they stack up against anchor scripts from previous years. So So that that scale is, is, say, let's say you had a really, you know, a class who for some reason just did, no one was really low attaining in that Mm -hmm. class. Would that pop up and say, do you know what, we're starting 
the lowest one here is actually middle. If you if you put in a set of anchor scripts, then yes, it would. Okay. So let's say you've got a class in 2017, mm-hmm. and as you said, they all happen to be very high attaining. If you put, say, all 30 of their scripts into a pot and you included, say, 10 anchor scripts from the year before and those anchor scripts were spaced out across the, the distribution for that age cohort, mm-hmm. you'd see, if your 30 really were all high attaining, you'd see they'd all be coming in uh, in the top end of those anchors. Okay. So they'd all be above maybe half, at least half of those anchors. So you'd be able to see that they really were in that, in that top end. And in terms of the feedback from that, yeah. so you've, you've fed the scripts in, mm-hmm. you've uh, presumably compared them as, as a school or as a, or as a local cluster of schools yeah. and you've got your results back how do you again get the learning points from that how do you know what's missing in terms of their learning yes that's a great question that loops back to some of the things i was saying before about the time and the written comments so you're right it, this this process means you don't put written comments at the bottom of scripts mm-hmm. but i actually think written comments are not nearly as effective as we sometimes think they are mm-hmm. and i think you can end up in a situation where you're writing a comment which actually does the pupil know how to act and how to improve on that. I remember writing comments from the old APP grids like you need to infer better. Yeah. Well, what does a pupil do in response to that? So how I would say you get the feedback to, to kids from a comparative judgment session is once you've finished a comparative judgment, you'll have spent a long, t- you know, you, 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 you'll have spent all that time reading lots of scripts. Um, and, and so you have quick exposure to all of the kids whose work you're judging and if you're judging as part of a national window, you'll see kids from around the country too, you'll see their work. So then I think the best way to take that feedback back to your pupils is, and this is something that can work with comparative judgment or not, and I, it's an idea I've pinched from Michaela Community School, okay. which is a one-page, kind of one-page whole, whole class feedback. So it's the idea that you've got a page of notes, and as you're reading all the scripts, you're just jotting down the whole class feedback. Okay. So maybe you're reading them and you're like, there's a persistent points that are coming up here that all the errors kids are making. So you're jotting down right tense. All of my pupils are making errors of tense. They're sort of slipping between past and present. I need to pick that up. So next lesson, I'm going to put a sentence where this has happened on the board, ask the kids to correct it, ask them to find it in their own work. Okay. So you pick out issues that are common across the board. And, and this is working on the assumption, which is that probably 75, 80% of kids often are making the same errors. Yeah. So you pick them all up in one go feedback to the whole class and as you're doing that they act on it instantly so you're not relying on them reading the comment and and, and going off and doing something about it they're doing something then and there yeah. you're building in the time obviously there'll always be people who don't fall into that category who are making mistakes that are unique or there'll be people who have produced really good work so I think a, a sort of one page marking pro forma should have the potential to capture that as well and then presumably you go to those individuals that weren't fitting that and say because yeah. you'd be reading the work so you'd know which ones weren't absolutely fitting, and then it gives you extra time to focus on those exactly exactly and I think also I mean I am thinking of this a lot of the things I'm saying are relevant for extended pieces of writing but you can also I really like the idea of sharing a really good piece of work on the visualizer mm. so you also and that's nice because it makes the, the child who's been chosen feel quite special but you're also sharing that excellence across the class as well and are you thinking so. of this just this for humanities subjects or, or you know if math teachers are out there thinking well, you know, what is a good piece of working out for this question? I, you know, everyone's got the right answer, but people have done it stupidly long ways around. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Would, would, is the same still relevant, or is it a slightly different process? Yeah, I think that can definitely work. Um, I think that maths generally, probably where I'd say all that you see a lot of the really big workload issues being caused is subjects with the extended writing. Okay. Um, but I think certainly maths, I think sharing people's work is really valuable there. And often the ones I've seen, you know, lessons I've seen sort of videoed that have worked really well have been when kids have almost followed the right process, got everything right and made just one tiny error. Yeah. And that throws out the answer. 
And the ones, lessons I've seen that have been really good is when you put that up on the visualiser and ask the whole class to spot where that's gone wrong. Oh, I see. And even for a pupil who got the question right, I think that's valuable. Yeah. Being able to tease out kind of where the, where the error was. So I, th- I think sharing work is a really powerful form of feedback that um, doesn't necessarily take too much time, teacher time up front, mm-hmm. but I think has enormous power. And it, and it, it, it is establishing a feedback cycle. You know, it is establishing a feedback loop. And it's also getting pupils into that habit of knowing that their work is going to be read, knowing that their work is going to be scrutinised, knowing that they're going to they're going to have to see it again yeah. in a later lesson um, and, and, and work on it. And I think that establishing that cycle is almost as important. Um, I would say it's more important than just... That, that, that's better than just a written comment on it that the pupil doesn't yeah. understand, that the teacher's taken forever to write out. So it's one of those things where I think at the minute we, we've almost got like a lever the wrong way round. Yeah. So we've got like we're putting in loads and loads of work, putting all these written comments on work. And I think that gives so few benefits. And I think, can we flip that? Can we find something where potentially you put in less work, but you're generating much, much big impact? So in terms of final question, and in terms of everything you've learned about assessment in however many years you've been focusing on it, if you went back to the classroom now as an English teacher in a secondary school, what would your you know you're looking ahead at your term what's what would your planning uh, your assessment planning be for that what assessment would you do it over a term so what i would like to do i would i would like to time cost and plan out everything i want to do yeah and, and when i say time cost i'd like to sometimes i, I, I talk about people in sept- september in late august in september you have these enormous visions about what you're going to achieve yeah. and i always try and think how am i going to feel for me the two two toughest months were always november and february yeah so how are you going to feel in november and february is okay. this realistic yeah <laughs> so i would sit down and sort of map out the year and think try and think through and obviously it's hard sometimes for an individual teach to do because you've got school policies mm-hmm. but I would think you know what is realistic what is achievable um, you know what is uh, a, 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 and time cost it and say well if I am going to commit to people doing this, these these many pieces of assessed work and me m- putting a written comment on at the bottom of all of them where's that time coming from how long is that going to take mm-hmm. so I would want to sit down and be really clear about the time it's going to take for the certain things I'm planning I, uh, so that would be a, a really important thing just, just that planning and the other thing I'd do is for every piece of extended writing that I'm going to mark I would replace written comments with whole class feedback. Okay. That for me, for an English teacher, that would be really crucial. So what I want to do at the start of the year is maybe map out, most schools will have their maybe their free assessment points at the end of a long term. Uh, I would want to map out as an English teacher, maybe working with my department, working with SLT to say, maybe I'll do three pieces of extended writing as well as those, those three. And for those three, I will do the whole class feedback. And I'll do that in, with some form of collaboration mm. with, with other teachers in the department. Um, and so that would be a way of giving really good feedback that isn't using written comments. And I'd then probably want to try and build in again to try and keep a way that's high impact but low workload, of thinking of a way then you can integrate some short answer, multiple choice questions around that. So as many ways as possible of, remember what I said at the start about assessment being about communication, about meaning, about understanding, mm. as many ways as possible of responding, understanding, of thinking about what your pupils are thinking about, but as many ways of doing that that don't involve excessive workload, that don't involve lots of kind of peripheral peripheral things that aren't really getting to the heart of it. So for me, it would be what kind of questions, what kind of ways of responding can I devise that will be low workload, high impact? So I'd say lots of short answer and multiple choice questions. When there is extended writing, doing the whole class feedback, maybe collaborating with other teachers. When you do want to give a grade, and I will say this, when you do want to give a grade for extended writing, I say then that's where I think comparative judgment can come into its own. For those you, places where you want to give a grade for a piece of extended writing. Would that be testing the same knowledge as well, to mm-hmm. see if those those students can 
respond sort of produce that knowledge under mm. different questions totally so I, if i would say one way i think this works really well both at primary and secondary um vocabulary I'm really, really, really like the work of Isabel Beck on teaching vocabulary. And she talks a lot about teaching vocabulary and, and assessing it and how you teach a new word and how you can assess it with a short answer question. Like you can give a sentence with a blank and say, what's the best word that goes here? Mm. So my idea would be the formative assessment, you can teach vocabulary like that. So you can maybe teach X number of new words a week or X number of term. And those are really powerful words that you're teaching, you're teaching all the time. You're assessing them with quite simple easy to mark activities that can be peer assessed that you don't take you long to mark then you want to know well it's all very well they can fill in these sentences yeah. these artificial sentences of word but i now want to see can they integrate these into bigger pieces of work and i wouldn't want to do the bigger piece of work too soon because mm-hmm. you need to have time to learn and build up build up your understanding of those words so that's why i'm saying maybe twice a year but twice a year you have a point where you're like right we're doing a bigger piece of writing and this piece of writing one of the things i'm going to see here is are they taking this, these, this knowledge of the new words, are they transferring that over to these bigger pieces I of writing? See. And so that would be an ideal, those two pieces of work would be ideal to be yeah. assessed by comparative judgment. Okay. So for me, you could assess the vocabulary week to week with some quite simple tasks that could be peer assessed, self assessed, uh, quite easy to, to, to assess. And then twice a year, you can see, right, are pupils transferring this knowledge into larger pieces of work? Mm. Are they transferring it over into extended pieces of writing, letters, stories, what have you? Uh, and then the comparative judgment will give you an idea if they're making progress on that on those sort of bigger, bigger more scale. holistic, more holistic scales. And are you tempted to go back to the classroom? I do miss it. I do miss it, especially this time of year. Everyone's getting ready to to go back. Um, all the back to school stationery. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it is you always have that feeling of sort of newness this, yeah. this time of year. As I say, this this time of year is great. It's November and February. <laughs> you're quite happy where yeah. you are. <laughs> I think it's. Um, yeah, it's, um, I, I do miss, I think the, the thing you miss about teaching, I was, I was talking to a friend about it the other day, is every day is different. You get so many great stories. Mm. <laughs> it's so much, it's so much fun. Um, so those kind of things you, you definitely miss. Um, but I do really love what I'm doing now. And as I say, being able to read so much people work and see the progress people's making and being able to come up with a, hopefully you know, a way of assessing that is assessing what people really want to assess about writing and giving accurate measures for it that is incredibly exciting so I think we're doing I'd like to think we're doing some quite pioneering things um, that are going to they're going to help people and help them to 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 show that progress that people are making thank you very much for your time cheers John cheers Audi de vos rêves se trouve déjà près de chez vous. Choisissez le modèle qui vous fait rêver et profitez-en immédiatement. Audi s'engage aujourd'hui à vos côtés avec Audi pour vous. Un ensemble d'offres et de services pour vous aider à mieux repartir. En ce moment, jusqu'à 6 mois de loyer vous sont offerts sur une sélection de modèles disponibles en stock. Découvrez l'ensemble de nos engagements Audi pour vous sur Audi.fr. Offre jusqu'à 6 mois de loyer suivant le premier versement offert. Offre LLD à particulier jusqu'au 30 juin 2020 sur 37 mois et 25 000 km par an maximum sur une sélection de véhicules en stock et si acceptation par Volkswagen Bank. Détails sur Audi.fr.